Hello, friends. This is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries and Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. The podcast you're about to hear is from our archives. Uh, this podcast first aired last summer as part of the What in the World is Going On eight-part series. So I'm out of pocket this weekend traveling and unable to do my regular messages on Sunday from Plum Creek Chapel. So we decided we would do a replay here of a very uh, popular uh, session that we did on preparedness. So this was part five of that eight-part series, What in the World is Going On. By the way, the video streaming series, What in the World is Going On, is still available for purchase at notbyworks.org. Just click on the videos tab and then What in the World is Going On, and you can learn more uh, there. But this is essentially the audio portion of that part five, and it's a very important presentation on how to be prepared. Uh, And the reason I thought this would be a good replay is that we're getting more and more calls and emails and texts from folks uh, really wondering what can they do to get ready for what's coming down the pike. All signs point to another difficult fall and winter uh, as the Luciferians continue to ratchet up their end game. And uh, this message that you're about to hear really gives you a lot of practical tips and ideas and suggestions of things that you can uh, be on the lookout for. So I hope you enjoy it, and uh, we'll be back with our regular new podcast uh, this coming Tuesday on the Christian Underground News Network, and then, of course, my regular Wednesday and Sunday messages from Plum Creek Chapel. Thank you, and God bless. I want to welcome everyone again to now part five of What in the World is Going On, and um, Really looking forward to what we're going to be discussing tonight. I think you'll find it to be very practical and very helpful. Uh, As we begin, I want to uh, take a moment just to review the first four. Uh, I'm just going to do just mention them. I'm not going to put them on the screen. But we started out uh, in session number one, looking at the great satanic reset and looking at it through the lens of uh, the Bible and how Satan is fast at work trying to usher in a one-world satanic system of government with full planetary control. And, uh, and then we looked at how in the present day, the, the one in the driver's seat seems to be Klaus Schwab and the, the World Economic Forum. And we talked a lot about uh, kind of the parallels between the biblical plan and what we see uh, happening right before our very eyes. Then in session two, we looked at uh, COVID-19 and the, the uh, Luciferian depopula- depopulation uh, program and how that... Uh, it kind of plays into this whole scenario of setting the stage for the end times. And then in part three of What in the World is Going On, we talked about uh, not only COVID-19, but the COVID-19 so-called vaccine. We called it the experimental gene editing bioinjections, and we spent a great deal of time on that, one of our longest sessions and also most uh, watched sessions. And then uh, last session, we in part four, we talked about Uh, the timetable for all of this. In their own words, what are the Luciferians saying about how soon they would like to roll this out? And we uh, correlated that with Agenda 2030, which is kind of the blueprint for the rollout of the One World System. And so before we get to tonight's session, just a couple of quick uh, announcements. I want to remind you to, if you have not already, please be sure and subscribe to the Not By Works newsletter. Uh, That is right on the homepage at notbyworks.org. Scroll down to the bottom. You'll see where it says sign up here for our newsletter. You just enter your email address, click click enter, and you're done. And that will help you stay in touch with us and informed of 
new videos, new podcasts. We do at least four podcasts a week now, uh, which includes our two Sunday uh, services, our Wednesday night service, and a standing uh, arrangement I have with the Christian Underground News Network on Tuesday mornings for their uh, radio program. Also want to remind you to save the questions for the end. I'm anticipating some great comments and great questions tonight as we talk about preparedness. Uh, but if you would save those for the end, that would help. And speaking of Christian Underground News Network, they are kind of helping co-sponsor these um, vaccine solicitation door signs, which we've talked about last week. And uh, for those of you here in the building, we have some of those on the table at the back. If you're watching online, you can go to notbyworks.org and then click on the store, and you can, uh, you can see those there. But we appreciate uh, Curtis Chamberlain and the Christian Underground News Network for helping us promote that. It's basically a sign that you put on your door, as you can see there on the screen, that basically says if you someone comes knocking in one of the government's doses-to-doors programs trying to coerce you into getting the vaccine, uh, they might as well not even knock because you're not interested. Uh, no thanks is basically what the sign says. So tonight... As we talk about part five in, uh, in what in the world is going on, we're going to look at some preparedness tips. You know, there are a lot of great resources out there on uh, preparedness, and I, I've studied this subject for 14 years or more, and I, I feel like I'm pretty qualified to address the subject, but you can't possibly address everything you need to about the topic of preparedness and survival in a 90-minute session. So what my hope is tonight is to kind of paint a broad picture in this presentation give you a lot of valuable information but uh, mostly prompt you to kind of dig deeper on your own and do additional research as you prepare. It's going to be very informational uh, tonight, not a lot of current events videos and news headlines and things like that. We may do some of that but not a whole lot. And uh, one last thing before I, I dive in, I would really love to uh, transcribe tonight's session because for many years I've wanted to make uh, this type of content which I've spoken on in various settings and talked about in different radio shows and so forth but I've wanted to distill it down into what we're doing tonight a 90-minute presentation but not everybody has the time to watch a video or listen to the audio so if you're here tonight or you're watching online and you might be interested we don't have any funds to to pay for this but if you'd be interested after tonight's uh, presentation in transcribing everything that is said here tonight into a document and sending that to me, then we can kind of clean it up and we'll make it available to anyone who wants it on our website. Because I think, as you're going to see in a moment, we're going to cover some pretty important stuff that would be helpful for everyone to have, especially in times like these. So if you're interested in that, just email me and uh, you can, of course, watch the video on our website once it's posted later tonight and just go through and transcribe that. So preparedness tips. I want to start out by laying the biblical foundation for preparedness. Many people, sadly, think that it's somehow unspiritual or unbiblical to prepare. But as I've said from the beginning of this series on what in the world is going on, it is entirely biblical. Proverbs tells us, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. One English translation puts it this way, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. I've always liked this particular paraphrase best because it really gets to the essence of what this proverb is talking about. A prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. I'm going to talk in just a moment about the distinction between 
faith and presumption and how does faith and trust in God to protect us weigh in to all of this. But I want to just make the case very clearly that the Bible not only suggests but commands that we be prepared. We could look at passages in other parts of Proverbs like the famous one in Proverbs 6 where we're pointed to the ant as an illustration. Consider his his ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. What's that talking about? Planning ahead and preparing. And then it makes the application. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Christians need to wake up because we've been warned. Uh, Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, really very poignant passage for the days in which we live. He says, You brethren are not in darkness, so that this day, notice it's capitalized, that's talking about the day of the Lord, the coming great day of the Lord's wrath, which all will unfold after the rapture. And he says, You're not in darkness, so that that day will catch you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Sleep there meaning disregard what's going on all around us and not pay attention. He goes on to say, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath. We've talked about this in my Sunday morning series. Twice in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about how the church, the bride of Christ, will not have to endure the outpouring of God's prophetic wrath that is time and again predicted in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. Almost the entirety of of the book of Revelation constitutes the outpouring of God's wrath. Chapters 4 essentially to 18, in earnest chapter 6 to 18, but 4 to 18 of that last book of the Bible deal with this final seven-year period known as the great day of the Lord's wrath. But he says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, meaning deliverance from the great day of the Lord's wrath, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, watch this, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. In other words, our deliverance at the rapture is certain because Christ died as our substitute. He took all of God's wrath against us on Himself. And so we can have confidence that we will live together with Christ at the rapture, whether we're watchful or not. So you don't have to be watchful to be participating in the rapture. God is going to catch up all believers, those who place their faith in Him for eternal life at the rapture. But you should be watchful because otherwise you're going to be caught off guard and you might find yourself meeting your maker a lot sooner than the rapture. Uh, And he goes on to say, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. That's what we're doing in this series, edifying one another. We're trying to give information, explain what's going on through the lens of scripture, and then encourage everyone to be ready. Uh, The context in Romans 13 is very similar to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, which we just read. In the context, the night represents our earthly life that's plagued as it is with spiritual darkness and danger. And when the Lord Jesus calls us to himself at the rapture, a new day will begin for those who know the Lord, and we will walk and live in a sinless light. And in view of that reality, we need to be prepared by having a spiritual perspective on life. 
In other words, everything we've been talking about, a lot of it obviously is real-time, real tangible things that are happening before our eyes, but I hope you've understood and seen so far that it's all through a spiritual perspective on life because we're interpreting it through the Word of God. So Paul says here, we need to put on new clothes of armor because we're at war with sin and the forces of evil. Listen to what he says, do this knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. That's true for everybody. That was true for them in the first century. It's true for us today. Every day that goes by makes us closer to the time when we meet the Lord, either at the rapture or at death. He said, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Peter addresses this as well. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. What does he mean by the end of all things is at hand? Well, if you look at a panoramic view of human history based on the teachings of God's Word, it started 6,000 years ago with the creation of mankind when God spoke the world into existence. And over the ages since then, we've come ultimately to this time right now, the final age before the kingdom age, when Christ will come back, establish uh, His a messianic kingdom as promised in scripture rule with a rod of iron and perfect peace and justice that's the only age to come we are living in the last days that's the reason the bible refers to the present age as the last days but someday the lord is going to call us to meet him in the air after that uh, we will see a transitional period the completion of daniel's 70th week that final seven year period known as the wrath of god then christ will come back we will come back with him and the kingdom will be uh, inaugurated. And so when Peter and many other places in the New Testament refers to the end of the age and this being the last age and the last days and the latter times, picture this. This is what he's talking about. In God's plan of the ages, God and his sovereignty has made it such that you and I have the privilege, the honor of living in this final age, an age post-Calvary when all everything is in place, everything's been done, the payment's been made, the resurrection has occurred, the victory is over. From a human timeline perspective, everything's in place. We're just waiting for the Lord to come back, for God to say, go. And then Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, the throne in waiting, will come back and the, the final end times unfulfilled prophecies of Scripture will unfold just as the Bible says they were. So it's in light of this age in which we live that Peter goes on in chapter 5 to say, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't think people read this verse in light of the context in which it is given. We tend to think, and we're right, that the devil is always, throughout since he got kicked out of heaven, trying to devour people. But especially today, he knows God's plan. He knows the Word of God. He doesn't believe it, but he knows it. And he knows that we are living in the final age. And so we have seen... Satan and his Luciferian co-conspirators on earth seeking desperately, particularly in the last few centuries, to try to overcome all that is good and right and holy and sacred, God's plan of the ages, and take over the world. And, and they, every day that passes, they are getting closer and closer. And as we've clearly demonstrated, I think, in, uh, chap in the first four uh, messages in this series, uh, we are right on the brink of that shift back into a globalist mindset ruled by an evil tyrannical uh, leader. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know much else that I can say to kind of make the case for where we're at. 
which is why tonight I decided to move on into uh, preparedness uh, and give you some practical uh, tips. Because if you don't get it after the first four messages in this series, you're probably not going to get it. I mean, I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. So hopefully people have kind of taken all the data that I've given, citing reputable sources, doctors, scientists, virologists, and others, and I've laid it out to say you need to be ready. So in light of that, we need to remember that Paul, one of the last things he wrote in the last letter that he wrote here in 2 Timothy was, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so... We don't need to be afraid, we don't ever need to be scared, but we do need to be prepared. Jesus himself promised that in this world we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome uh, the world. Uh, I talked in, in our Sunday message from Psalm 2 on the growing global rebellion about how things are going to get worse and worse, that's all prophesied, and Jesus himself said, look, it's going to get tough, but don't worry, I win, I've overcome. And the only thing holding this back at this point is God's sovereignty. Uh, But we know, if we believe the Bible, how it's going to happen, the details of how it's going to happen, what order things are going to happen in, we know all of that. The only thing we don't know is the precise commencement of it. All we can do, as we've done the last four sessions, is look at the signs of the times, look at the handwriting on the wall, and be prepared. And that's what we're calling you to do uh, tonight, is to be prepared. Ask yourself, are you ready? It's, it's often been pointed out that it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark, right? And so uh, I want to ask a few questions before I get into seven sections that I want to talk about uh, tonight. The first question is this. Are you counting on the government to help you in a crisis? Is that your preparedness plan? Um, next week in part six of what in the world is going on, I'm going to address the topic, can we trust the government? But I think most of us probably intuitively know already Uh, that this is not the best place uh, to put your trust. But the Bible actually addresses this. You know, uh, 6th century B.C., 500 some odd years before uh, Christ, the prophet Jeremiah told the Jews, for our leaders are stupid. They have not sought the Lord's advice. So they do not act wisely, and the people they are responsible for have all been scattered. I think a prophet Jeremiah, if he lived in our day, would have said the same thing about our Leaders. Going back to the wisdom principles in Proverbs, we're reminded that confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Anybody ever have a toothache that just really is debilitating until you get the tooth pulled or get something? That's the analogy here. That's what it's like to have confidence in an unfaithful man. Is your trust in President Biden? Is your trust in Fauci? Is your trust in Bill Gates? Is your trust in Francis Collins? (laughs) Where's your trust? So no, we don't want to trust the government. What about this? Are you counting on other people to help you in a crisis? Is that your plan for preparedness? Well, the Bible addresses that. In Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes or other people who cannot save you literally help you is the idea there, deliver you, rescue you. So where is your trust? Where is your trust? This Sunday at Plum Creek Chapel, I'm going to be addressing Psalm 20 in our series through the book of Psalms. Another Psalm by David. So far, it'll mean that the first four of our messages in the series through Psalms, in selected Psalms, have been by David. But that's not too surprising because he wrote half the Psalms, 75 of the 150. 
But this is a very famous statement, and I love this psalm, when he says in verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember or trust in the name of the Lord our God. And notice how the word Lord there is capitalized in the English translation. Many of you may know that if you have a good formal equivalent translation, a good sort of word for word, not a paraphrase, but a good translation like New King James or New American Standard or something, uh, that it's going to capitalize the word Lord anytime it refers to Yahweh, the personal intimate name of God, the one true God, the I am, right? The God who is, the Yahweh. And uh, even though the Jews, out of reverence for that name, would never vocalize the name Yahweh, they, would, they were trained instinctively when they saw Yahweh in the Hebrew scrolls or heard them reading it, they would read it as Adonai, which is the generic name for Lord, just because it was such a meaningful name about God that they wouldn't say it. But this is uh, what David refers to here is Yahweh, the Creator God, based on His name, that's who we trust in. His very name in, in the ancient Near East and particularly in the Hebrew culture symbolized uh, their reputation. So he's basically saying when you trust in the name, you're trusting in their reliable reputation. And that's what King David says here. That's where our trust should be. Now, unfortunately, within uh, the mindset of many people, they either gravitate to one extreme or the other when it comes to preparedness. And so I, I call this the preparedness continuum. You know, uh, being prepared does not replace our trust in God. It comes alongside our trust in God. Yet for some unbelievers and for weak believers, preparedness or survivalist thinking is, is all based on the wrong premise. For some, they have this attitude of, I can do this myself. It's sort of a self-reliance. For others, it's more of a presumption. God will take care of me. I don't need to do anything. God's got this, right? And, and there's this continuum of extremes between self-reliance and presumption on the one extreme you've got this mentality of i've got this i can handle this i'm strong enough to do it on my own i don't need any help as long as i dot all my i's and cross all my t's and just prepare then i can handle anything self-reliance but on the other extreme are the people who are plagued by presumption who act really spiritual and sound like you know i don't have to worry i don't have to prepare you're, you don't have any faith if you're preparing, you know. Um, and these are the people that I think have their head in the sand and don't understand the Bible. Because as I just demonstrated, the Bible is quite clear that we do need to prepare. So a balanced approach is one that says, I am trusting God and His Word. And of course, you know, what does His Word say? It tells us to be prepared. So we don't want to be over here in the, I've got this all on my own, I'm strong enough. Or, I don't need any to prepare or do anything because God will take care of me. We want to remember the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say? Well, there's a great verse that expresses the principle of the balance between preparedness and faith in God, I think, perfectly well. And it's found in Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So, preparedness and faith in God to protect us are not mutually exclusive. In fact, according to God's Word, they're both commanded. We're, we're supposed to do both. Um, ultimately, our trust is in God. And, and whether we've prepared the horse for the day of battle, we don't know what God's plan is. He may call us to walk through martyrdom and make the ultimate sacrifice. He may call us to step up to the guillotine or get on the trains or who knows. We may be all shuttled off to FEMA camps. 
but at the same time, we may not. And we want to trust God above all, but at the same time, heed His warnings in His Word to be prepared. To be prepared. And so, uh, for the remainder of our time tonight, I want to highlight seven things that I think uh, relate to this idea of preparedness. And this is a kind of a just a big picture, macro level overview of the issue of uh, preparedness. But the, number one, before you can prepare, you've got to think through what you're preparing to survive and how each scenario might threaten you. What are the unique threats that that scenario brings with it? And that's going to give you then the parameters necessary for the steps that I'm going to outline in, in section two uh, of this uh, uh, of this uh, presentation tonight. So the following scenarios are a broad overview of the kinds of things that could change life as we know it in an instant. Uh, it's not exhaustive. Uh, there's really no way to imagine every conceivable scenario. Uh, but in this section, I'm going to cover the vast majority of things that could happen from a probability standpoint. And even if something not specifically addressed in this list were to occur, chances are the same basic principles of a response would apply. And we're going to get to the responses and actual preparedness tips uh, in the next section. But it's also worth noting, before I get to these potential scenarios, that some of the scenarios we're about to cover could happen at the same time. In other words, it's not a multiple choice. It could be this or this or this or this. It could be this and this and this and this. And so we need to, you know, consider the fact that we might face multiple scenarios at the same time, feeding uh, off of each other. So the first one I want to talk about is natural disaster, whether real or engineered. And I've talked elsewhere about how the government is using weather warfare and has for over 70 years now. Uh, it's called geoengineering. It's called uh, chemical ice nucleation. It's called uh, uh, stratospheric aerosol injection, all, all kinds of uh, different uh, different things, solar radiation management, but uh, they definitely steer hurricanes, make rain, stop rain, make drought, make fire, all of that. Uh, and I addressed that in one of the videos in my series on Spirit of the Antichrist. So when we talk about a natural disaster, it could be real or engineered, but from a preparedness standpoint, it really doesn't matter. We want to think through the types of things that might happen. So one possible scenario that regardless of frankly, of the nearness of the Lord's return and the fact that the Luciferian elite seem to be rolling out the end game of their agenda. These are the types of things that could happen at any time. Now, I grew up on the, the southeast, uh, uh, in southeast Texas on the Gulf Coast, and so we had to deal with lots of hurricanes and lots of, uh, you know, uh, tropical storms and things like that. But these are the types of scenarios that uh, we could face. Earthquakes, tornadoes, droughts. Uh, you could face... Uh, you know, the, the implications of that. If there is a tornado, it probably means you're going to be without power. If there is a hurricane, you're probably going to be without power. If there's a big a blizzard or snowstorm. In my younger years, till I started high school, I was primarily out in the Northeast in Connecticut. And we had, one, I remember one time we were traveling as a family when I was just a kid with my sisters. And we got stranded in a blizzard, spent the night in a firehouse with a bunch of other stranded motorists somewhere. Uh, so these are the types of things that could happen as it relates to uh, natural disasters, floods and that type of stuff. Another potential scenario is civil unrest. Now, civil unrest really runs the gamut in terms of what might spawn it. 
you could see civil unrest caused by a natural disaster, right? You could see it caused by racial division. You could see it by protests against COVID mandates, for example. You could see, you know, civil unrest emanating because the government uh, issues some type of response uh, to a false flag or some kind of a terrorist attack. An economic crisis could trigger civil unrest. Uh, all kinds of things could trigger, but in our preparedness plans, we need to think about what if there's civil unrest? What if there's a natural disaster? A third scenario is a terrorist attack. Again, it could be real. It could be a false flag. From our perspective, it doesn't really matter. Um, but a terrorist attack could hit us where we are. I mean, if you live in, say, Denver, you might be hit with some type of terrorist attack there. But it also might hit somewhere else but have a nationwide ripple effect. If you remember 9-11, obviously it immediately impacted the folks in uh, New York City and in Washington, D.C. and in Shanksville, uh, Pennsylvania. But it had a ripple effect for in the immediate aftermath of it for several days as people were sort of shell-shocked and riveted, glued to the TV watching it. And then, of course, it had a long-term effect in terms of the response to it and the uh, Unpatriot Act and all of that. But so this terrorist attack could have a nationwide effect. It could have just a localized effect. But in any event, you need to think through those scenarios. And when I get to the scenario, I mean, uh, those responses, when I get to the responses in just a moment, you'll see that some of them, if it, let's say it's a terrorist attack way off that doesn't immediately impact you, you might have one response. If it's something where you're in imminent danger or a threat, then you have a different response. Economic collapse is a very real scenario and has been for some time. Um, uh, you know, I think the, the economy in the U.S. has been on life support. Uh, and we know from history that these types of things happen where they could declare a bank holiday. Uh, there could be a shortage of cash. I uh, remember at the beginning of this latest pandemic, just early last year, when we were kind of just feeling our way through it and they were just shutting down churches and shutting down non-essential businesses, you know, uh, that I felt like I needed to stock up on some cash. I really didn't need to stock up on cash, but I wanted to get cash out of my accounts so it was out of harm's way because one of the principles we're going to talk about in a moment when we get to the preparedness uh, tips is if you can't touch it, you don't own it. And so I wanted to make sure that I had cash. So I I went to town. We lived in the mountains at the time, and it was about a 40-minute, 45-minute drive. And I had to go to five different ATMs to find one that still had money. So, I mean, that's just a little, small little snippet of an anecdote. But what if that happens nationwide? What if you try to log on to your bank and you can't access your accounts? Okay. So an economic collapse could, could involve all kinds of things, and it, and, and it most likely would occur in conjunction with one of these other scenarios. Um, but you could see supply shortages. You could see, uh, you know, a collapse in the stock market. We've seen that happen many times. It, it always so far has bounced back because it's controlled, it's manipulated, and they're not ready to enter the end game. But what if, when they are? What if we end up, as other countries in the past have seen, dealing with hyperinflation, right? So uh, that's a scenario. Or martial law and lockdown. What if you are forced to stay in your house for some period of time? Again, this is not just some type of hyperbole. We've seen this happen. If you remember after the Boston bombing, 
The citizens of that community around there were put under martial law and not allowed to leave their house for over a day. <laughs> okay, so that's just a day. Uh, what if it's a week or a month or longer than that? And again, any number of scenarios could lead to uh, martial uh, law. And so what about uh, food supply shortages? Um, we already kind of see this coming, uh, don't we? Uh, we've, uh, just this week, this was August 23rd from CNN, the disrupt disruption to global supply chains is getting worse. And then here's this guy, CEO of one of the largest container companies, explaining how uh, this vast network of ports and container vessels and trucking companies that moves goods around the world is badly tangled right now, and the cost of shipping is skyrocketing. And how, you know, their, their predictive programming here reminding us of how terrible that's going to be for retailers and for people heading into the holiday shopping, right? Um, so this is, this is spurring all kinds of, uh, you know, food and supply shortages. Right now, maybe you've seen this right off the coast of California. There are literally hundreds of ships full of containers that have been docked short of the port for last time I checked, it had been 90 days. No reason is given, no explanation. They're just not able to come into the port yet. And they're just sitting there, over 100 of them. What are they doing? Is that by design? I mean, maybe there's a logical explanation. I don't know. Um, but it's uh, definitely uh, leading to food and supply shortages that are going to be worse. And that's one scenario we need to think about. And then what about a foreign attack? You know, I know nobody likes to think about it, but this is always a legitimate threat. And with all that's going on in Afghanistan right now, it becomes even more. And there's been saber, saber rattling. There's been all kinds of signs that indicate that the, the geopolitical scene is, is sort of simmering beneath the surface, waiting for some spark to cause something. I believe it's all orchestrated by the Luciferian elite, but whatever causes it, it could happen. I saw this uh, from August 18th. So that's, uh, what, a week ago. Uh, this is uh, from the Epoch Times. Chinese regime seeks advantages in the U.S. departure from Afghanistan. And what you see on the screen there is uh, the Chinese state counselor and foreign minister Wing Yi, or Wang Yi, rather, meeting with Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar, the chief politician of Afghanistan's Taliban. And they were meeting in China on July 28th 2021. Now, if you do the math, that was before the debacle in Afghanistan. So already on July 28th, the leader of the Taliban and the, you know, the foreign minister of China are meeting together. I don't, I'm not an expert in political science. I don't know, pretend to know what's going on, but it caught my attention that they're meeting. So those are just a few uh, scenarios that we might be facing. Obviously, each one of these could have several subheadings underneath them. And then again, they could have they could be complex and overlapping, and so forth. But uh, I think you kind of get the idea. That you need to think through different scenarios. So now, let's talk about how to plan ahead. How should I respond to various uh, scenarios? Well, your plan uh, should be as detailed and comprehensive as possible, and yet don't get bogged down in the weeds. You got to prioritize the things that are most important. There could be some scenarios that while devastating, are so remote in terms of probability, you probably don't want to spend a whole lot of time focusing on those. There could be other scenarios that, while they might be more likely, there's really nothing you can do about it. 
like one scenario is that a nuclear bomb goes off in your living room, okay? If that happens, you really don't need to spend time preparing for that because there's nothing you're going to be able to do. So just be aware, and, and in those cases, you trust God, and if it's your time, you know, I mean, you trust God through all of it, but if it happens, in that, then you meet the Lord. That's fine. So you've got to balance the likelihood with what it takes to, to hedge yourself against those uh, types of things and prioritize what's important. And remember, each person's plan will be different based upon your unique situation and circumstance. So I'm going to give you a threefold big picture uh, suggestion for how to start developing a plan. And I think this is a good framework for you to then take and customize based on your unique situation. Things like where you live, how, how much you're in harm's way, how many people are in your family, how many extended people are in your family, what's your work schedule, what if something, you know, if you've got someone who works or multiple people in your family that work outside the home for eight hours a day, statistically, one, there's a one-third chance that some, in any given day that something's going to happen while you're not all together. You need to think about that type of thing. So the first uh, uh, big picture plan is what I call plan A, and, and I call this hunkering down, hunkering down. Now, this is some type of minor, might even be significant disaster that results in things like power outages for a few days or uh, people kind of sheltering in place. Um, and the idea here is that, uh, you, you know, your daily routine is disrupted. There might not be any imminent threat of danger to your life, or even to your home, but you need to hunker down and you might even be called upon to use some of the emergency supplies that you have gathered, which we're going to talk about. Uh, in a case of a plan A rollout, you always want to remember to conserve energy, food, and supplies in case things worsen. So you don't want to make the mistake of thinking this is just a plan A response and all of a sudden it becomes a plan B response and you've run out of supplies, right? So you need to think about that. You need to stay alert and watch the news and watch what's going on and uh, be ready to shift to plan B if needed. So that's hunkering down, plan A. Plan B is a little more serious, and it's head out, head out. So this is a crisis that results in, in danger to your life or home. You, you are in danger if you stay put. You need to move. Uh, the area is not safe. Life is not likely to return to normal anytime soon. You need to evacuate the area. Use your bug-out bags. We're going to talk about bug-out bags in just a moment. Uh, you need to determine a designated rendezvous point or bug-out place in advance. By the time you need to head out, you're not going to have time to scout out places and decide what the best place is uh, to go. So you should always be prepared to manage at least one week on your own and probably longer. Um, the ideal bug-out place is no closer than five miles as the crow flies from the nearest interstate because depending on how serious the crisis becomes, uh, studies have shown that uh, marauders and people on foot will not travel further than five miles from a major artery. So interstates, freeways, those types of things. So you want, you want to stay at least five miles or more away from there. It needs to be secluded. It needs to have access to water and heat. We're going to talk about these things in a moment. But ideally, this would be a place that you own and have full control over uh, so that you can stock it ahead of time. It's called caching and, and, and being ready with stuff there so that you have to take as little as possible with you in your bug-out bags. Um, in fact, the elite 
for some time now have been purchasing uh, bug out places, typically underground bunkers in all parts of the world and stocking them with heirloom seeds and other types of stuff to be prepared in case they something happens. Now, what do they know that that we don't? Uh, so, again, uh, you know, we could talk, we could spend multiple sessions talking about how specifically you might implement uh, a plan B. Uh, but that's really something that you're going to have to just kind of think through on your own. Again, if you're independently wealthy, consider buying a, a, a remote bug out place in the country or the mountains with a creek or river or something on it or a pond. If you're not independently wealthy or can't afford that, you need to think about other places you can go and, uh, and who you know and those types of things. Um, you want to have actual maps, physical paper maps ready already with the marks, with the routes marked out on the map, highlighted on the map, because, you know, your phone may not work. And uh, you should also consider getting an actual GPS that's based off the satellites, because as you've probably discovered, as I have in all my travels, that since the onset of, of uh, smartphones and everyone now just uses their MapQuest app or their Google Maps app or their Apple Maps, that's great until you don't have a cell signal which is quite often in the better part of the, you know, the, the Midwest and places like that. And so uh, generally speaking, your GPS will kind of continue to track, I mean, your, your map app will continue to track with you even when there's no signal, but eventually if you don't have a signal for very long, it kind of shuts down. A GPS, unless you're underground or in a cave or a long extended tunnel, is going to be able to access the satellite. Uh, and regarding Plan B here, you also want to stay fit. You need to think about that because you may be called upon to head out under dire circumstances. It might not be like you're going to pull up to the nearest Holiday Inn where you just load your kids in the car and sing some songs as you're driving and pull up to a hotel. Heading out, if you get to Plan B, could be strenuous and stressful. So you need to think about being in shape. Other things uh, to think about, I didn't put these on the screen, but I just wanted to comment on them about heading out. Uh, is, you know, think about before you leave things like shutting off the water, shutting off the gas, shutting off the electricity. You don't know how long you're going to be gone. If you're at a plan B scenario or response to a scenario, uh, you really don't know what this is going to be. Again, it could be 72 hours and things may calm down, um, but it might not be. It might be much uh, worse than that. Um, you need to consider pets, <clears throat> you know, think about that ahead of time. I mean, you know, you might uh, consider taking your dogs and leaving your cats. I mean, I'm just throwing out a suggestion. Um, it, it's funny, I, in reviewing some of our old documents, we've got documents from 15 years ago. I actually had one, I don't remember what year it was from, but it's at least 10 years ago, where on our personal plan, it specifically said, take Buster, who was our dog at the time, leave the cats, because we lived out in the country and we had a bunch of barn cats, and so we were going to leave them to fend for themselves. And frankly, most cats are probably better equipped to handle a crisis than we are. So, uh, but you need to think about your pets. Uh, if you want to take them, you need to plan ahead in your bug out bags to have the stuff that pets need, right? Um, you need to, uh, of course, gather all the necessary supplies. We'll talk about this more when we get to bug out bags, but uh, you need to put together a communication plan. What if you find yourself needing to respond with a plan B, your personalized plan B of heading out, and you're not all together? And what if the grid is down and you can't talk? One of the things you may remember about 
is people couldn't reach people in lower Manhattan because the cell phones were all jammed up. And we had a, a cousin that lived there, worked right down there in Battery Park, and uh, we couldn't reach him until late into the evening. And we really thought he might be dead. Uh, but so you need to think about communicating with people and you need to have a pre-planned uh, rendezvous point in case you can't uh, commun uh, communicate. You, know, you, you need to plan different escape routes. What if the nature of the scenario is such that it's nearby your, where you, your city and it's resulted in half the city being locked down? Well, if that was your planned route to go to your designated bug out place, you're going to have to uh, turn on a dime. Well, a better plan is to think through different routes and scenario, uh, routes and, 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 and alternatives in case one of them is, uh, uh, you know, shut down. It also is important to think in different terms of different routes because if the scenario happens to be a nuclear event, which, by the way, doesn't have to be a foreign attack, it could be a meltdown at a reactor station or something like that. Uh, but if it's nuclear in nature, depending on where that is, you want to go the opposite direction. You don't want to go the direction where the fallout is drifting, right? Um, so you need to think through all of these types of things. Uh, uh, you know, have an emergency kit in your car in case you have to institute plan B when you're not at home. Um, and we're going to talk about specific uh, supplies next. You get the entire family, though, involved. And, and, and make sure they're aware of this plan as you practice it. And then the third and final uh, big picture idea is what I call hole up, uh, plan C. This is the most serious of the scenarios. Uh, the area is not safe and you are in danger if found. Now this may, be, may seem at first glance to be the least likely, but again, there's no end to the number of scenarios that might happen, and if they feed off of each other, one leads to another and leads to another, I can promise you we might find ourselves uh, in a scenario where people are hunting you. And this doesn't just mean, uh, you know, the government or some foreign adversary or terrorist. It could mean just marauding mobs, right? And uh, so what could conceivably happen is you go from a plan A, let's just hunker down, Let's see what happens. All of a sudden, people begin to panic. It gets worse. There's secondary things. Remember after 9-11, false flag, they did the, uh, what was the chemical that a week later, the white powder? Anthrax. Anthrax, thank you. They did that false flag. And so they could, they, you know, if this is, in, if this is uh, synthetic and not organic, they could absolutely do things on, back to back. So you might be in a hunker down situation then you might say, ah, we, it's not looking safe around here. I think I'll move to plan B. But before you know it, people are hunting each other down and trying to steal, rob you, steal from you. And so now you're into a plan C. So uh, in, in plan C, you need to flee to a secure place and lay low. Obviously, use your bug out bags. Be prepared to protect yourself against intruders. The time to decide whether you will use lethal force if your life is threatened is right now not when you think when it happens. Because if you're thinking about whether or not to do it at that point, you won't be thinking for very long. You'll be dead. Uh, be smart. Be flexible, as I said. Uh, again, all of these scenarios, uh, some of them could be such the nature of which cause us to move to plan C immediately. You know, uh, Others, more likely, before you get to plan C, you're already kind of in plan A or plan B. But when you get to plan C, you're likely at an end of the world as we know it 
scenario or at least an end of the world for a long time, all right, at that point. Once you get to this scenario, you need to think this isn't just a 72-hour bug out. This is, you know, the world as we know it has changed, right? Um, so uh, um, we'll discuss the importance of community here, here in just a minute. But number three then gets into the supplies. What do I need to survive and to implement one of these three plans in response to any number of scenarios? Well, prepared has a great value in a Scrabble game, but being prepared also has great value in life. And this is definitely not a game. So let's start with the big picture. Okay. Uh, the big picture, food, water, shelter, and protection. We'll start with those uh, first. Uh, food. Well, obviously, you, we know you can survive, and I've said this before, three minutes without air, three days without water, three months without food. So these are the most important. So I'm just going to put this list up on the screen, and this would be the kind of thing if someone uh, takes me up on my request to uh, transcribe this, I can send you the PowerPoint, and you can simply put this as a chart or a list in the document. Uh, but let's go through some of these things. Obviously, at the top of the list would be long-term storable food. So there are many different companies uh, out there that do that. I'm not going to recommend one over the other. You need to do your own research, but you need to think about having long-term storable food. Typically, it has a 20-year shelf life. Uh, it's gotten to be now where a lot of it isn't all that uh, you know, bad tasting, too. Uh, but the, that's really irrelevant. The main thing is it'll keep you alive. If you can't get to the store, if you can't take deliveries, you, you need to have uh, this long-term uh, storable food. Now, I'm going to suggest some other types of food that you not that you get in terms of an MRE, a meal ready to eat in some box, but the types of things that you can get at Costco or Sam's that have a long shelf life and can really help keep you alive. Uh, so this would be things like rice, flour, a peanut butter, uh, baking mix has a variety of usages, uh, all kinds of canned goods like veggies, fruit, beans. You can get canned meats like Spam or uh, you know chili. Those have a long shelf life and that'll give you good protein. Canned and instant soups, believe it or not, ramen noodles is a good cheap thing to kind of keep on hand. Powdered milk, eggs, and potatoes. Again, you're not serving a gourmet Thanksgiving dinner, you're trying to stay alive. Oats and wheat, instant dry yeast, any kind of peanuts or other nuts. Honey, of course, will last indefinitely. Salt and sugar, beef and chicken bouillon, dried fruits. Jerky is another good one with a long shelf life. Spices, raisins, protein bars, freeze-dried foods. Uh, another thing to think about in terms of planning your bug out and, and this number one issue of food is uh, where you're going to have access to fish or deer, right? If you needed to, can you kill a deer? I mean, uh, depending on the size of your family, a good-sized uh, you know, mule deer will feed you for quite some time. Um, and by the way, if you're thinking of hunting as a means of providing food in a long-term scenario, you want to make sure you have a uh, crossbow or some type of silent weapon because it could be a situation where if someone hears you fire off your 30 6 to kill that deer, now you've alerted everybody that there's food uh, nearby within earshot, and so people are going to come uh, looking for you. Uh, heirloom seeds, you can buy these uh, uh, online, 
and they're good at thinking again long term if you need to start over somewhere and plant your own garden. Uh, vitamins, supplements, and comfort foods, especially if you have kids in the, in the process of heading out, in the process of going to your bug up place where you're going to hole up, it's, it's good to have something that's going to uh, keep them uh, comfortable. So um, another thing about food is you can use vacuum sealers uh, to lengthen uh, shelf life. It's a good investment. Uh, you want to have kind of a mixture of uh, foods that are simply in the keep me alive category and others that are, you know, appetizing. And you want to uh, remember the two keys are shelf life and nutritional value. There are some things that might have an indefinite shelf life, like a piece of hard candy, but it doesn't have any nutritional value, so I wouldn't suggest stocking up on that. Um, there are lots of things that have nutritional value, but they're not going to last that long. So you need to kind of find one that checks both boxes. And then water. Uh, well, when it comes to water, that's another big picture key survival need. I would recommend having some five-gallon containers and even some one-gallon containers. They're very handy. Um, and uh, it, you need to have access to water. Now, I know that's kind of small, but I put it on there mainly for people watching the video. Later, they can pause it and write that down or, or go to that URL. But uh, most of you may know that a Clorox, and it has to be the real Clorox, not an off-brand, and it can't be any of these newfangled kinds with all the different, you know, scents in them and flavorings or whatever. All It just needs good old-fashioned Clorox, right? And it can be the Clorox or the concentrated Clorox, and the uh, recipe for purification is uh, different. Uh, but you want to have a little dropper to help you, you know, mix the, the water. But essentially, you know, you, you do two drops for a quart of water, eight drops for a gallon, and so forth and so on. Um, and that will help you uh, purify uh, water. Uh, I recommend uh, the Clorox over the over-the-counter water purification tablets because a lot of those, even though it, in theory it's supposed to accomplish the same thing, you really don't know what you're getting, but Clorox will do the job. Uh, another thing to consider about water is do you have access to a spring or a creek or a pond or a lake or a river? Do you have a hand crank well? Because if the power's out, you're not going to be able to get your water up from the well. Uh, if you have a powered well, you can invest in other different means of getting the water up, depending on how deep the well is. Um, they make some battery-operated uh, siphons, basically, for, for home wells. You could consider rain catchment. It's a good way to, to solve your water problem. There are all kinds of uh, different sizes and types of Berkey water filters. They're the best in the industry. Uh, filter straws are also another thing that you can use if, if uh, you're desperate. But you need to think through what you have in the way of water. Shelter. Another thing in the big picture is, you know, if you, you might have food and water, but are you protected from the elements? In some places, that's heat. If you're in the Mojave Desert region and you're having to flee and implement a Plan C, you're not going to last very long without some type of shelter from the heat. If you're in a cold climate or a mountain climate or places where there's snow and ice, you need to think about uh, how to be uh, protected from the heat. Um, so uh, things to consider, blankets, tarps, tents, rope, bungees, those, anything that can be make, made into a makeshift um, Shelter. I'm going to talk about more supplies in a moment, like tents and so forth. Another thing to consider when it comes to shelter is, is it visible from the road? Is it visible from the air? Uh, what about your neighbors? Do you know them? Are they, you know, like-minded? Are they a threat? 
So you need to consider shelter. And then finally, of course, protection. So these are the big four, food, water, shelter, protection. And protection, obviously, we're talking about any type of weapon. So in terms of guns, you need to think through what might you need. Handguns are obviously a means of protection, but also long guns. What if you're going to be hunting? Do you have rifles? Do you have shotguns? And do you have ammunition? Do you have a cleaning kit? Because you don't know how long you're going to be in this uh, mode. Uh, and other, any other weapons like knives and bats and batons and so forth. So now let's look at some other considerations about survival. And I've kind of tried to categorize these. And uh, after we go through these, if, if somebody notices an obvious oversight, it's entirely possible. Please be sure and during the Q&A point that out. Uh, but I think I've covered most things. I'll start with books and survival manuals. Uh, obviously, I think it's good to have in your bug out kit a Bible, a print Bible, because again, you have to assume that anything digital is not going to work. Also, a copy of the Constitution uh, could come in handy. And then there are a lot of books there that you see on the screen that, uh, that I would recommend, and this is by no means exhaustive. There are lots of great books out there on specific types of information and skill sets. But at the very least, you need stuff on general survival, uh, basic survival skills and preparedness skills. You need medical books like where there is no doctor and where there is no dentist. Um, uh, and, uh, and any kinds of good you know, Red Cross medical handbooks or emergency medical procedures, family medical guides, those types of things. Um, so, you know, you can kind of look through those, but uh, this is not, I'm not saying these are the best or these are must-haves, but this is a representative of uh, the types of books that, uh, that you would need. Another thing that people often don't think through when it comes to preparedness and bugging out is important documents. Uh, again, when you leave, if you end up in a Plan C, you have to leave with the understanding that whatever you leave behind, you'll never see again. So have you thought about bringing your wills or any power of attorneys that you have, life insurance policies, birth certificates, passports, social security cards, driver's license, even marriage licenses. You don't know where the world is heading and, how, and where, where things will go. And these types of things could be vital and very important. What about your home deed or title policy or auto titles, uh, any kind of personal financial info? Uh, these days we're all conditioned to use digital technology. You ought to make a point to Print out updates on all of your major financial information, bank and investment accounts and credit card accounts and so forth, periodically, uh, so that if you have to bug out, you can grab that, you know, that file. Uh, you should also consider a printed list of all your passwords. Hopefully by now, in this age of cyber uh, crime, people understand that you don't want to use the same password for every single thing. Uh, so most people these days have multiple passwords. And they probably keep it in a password safe or some type of uh, automated encrypted system. Well, you can print those out so that even though you may not be able to get on uh, the Internet, if you need to get onto a downloaded file, for example, a lot of our files these days are in encrypted. When I send out files that people purchase downloadable movies and uh, stuff from Not By Works Ministries, I, I put a password on it so that they can't just, you know, uh, send that link out and it gets loose and everybody and their uncle can, can download that stuff without buying it. Uh, so think about that. Think also about a printed address book. You know, what if there's an EMP or something and you don't have access to your contact list in your phone? Well, you need to have a good old-fashioned, um, you know, printed address book. Under protection, I've talked about this, but other things to consider would be 
uh, gas masks. Um, I would suggest the Israeli type with a whole slew of extra canisters. They will protect you against many uh, bio dangers and hazards. Uh, and just old, good old-fashioned dust masks, you know. Uh, for until recently, it was widely known that they will dust masks will never protect you from you know microscopic viruses, <laughs> uh, but they will protect you from dust and from other types of uh, things. And so uh, they can be handy if you're in a you know walking in the woods or you're in a dust storm or something. Binoculars can also be a form of protection. Uh, they have a lot of usages for binoculars, but uh, tents another form of protection. Also need to think about your valuables. Uh, cash is absolutely critical. Um, at some point in a crisis, the uh, dollar is going to be useless. Um, but in the initial aftermath of a crisis, it will still be uh, usable. And so you need to have a stockpile of that, particularly small bills. You don't want to be stuck with a bunch of $100 bills and you need a roll of toilet paper and you say, all I've got is 100, they'll say, I take it, I'll take it. <laughs> and you're not getting change, right? So you want to have ones and fives, and, and mostly ones and fives would be uh, a good idea. Another thing to consider is dirty silver, uh, also sometimes called 90% silver. But it's, uh, what we're talking about there is any nickel dime, I'm sorry, any dime, quarter, or half dollar, or even uh, silver dollar, that is pre-1965. So up and through 1964, dimes, quarters, and half dollars, it's a little different for, for silver dollars because they did do some of those in the 70s, but by and large, uh, dimes, quarters, and half dollars through 1964 were made of 90% pure silver. So they have value, a lot more value than their face value. And uh, so you can purchase those, and I believe that's probably the best form of a means of exchange because silver and gold and other precious metals have inherent value. In fact, the biblical term for money in the New Testament is silver. Uh, and, and, and there's a limited supply. It's made by God. It's not something manipulated or made out of thin air. And, but the reason I say dirty silver is because most people recognize that. They, they know what a quarter looks like. They know what a dime looks like. If you hand them a silver bar or even a silver round, uh, they may or may not believe you when you say it's pure silver. Well, how do I know you didn't make that up, right? How do I know this isn't just a fake silver? But if you hand them a quarter, they're going to know, and they can look at the date, and they know it's silver. So that's a very worthwhile investment, not necessarily as a, an investment financially, because like everything else, the precious metals market is manipulated, just like the stock market and anything else, but as a means of exchange and a means of surviving if the normal uh, economic structure uh, goes south. Uh, so again, dirty silver. Uh, silver rounds can be helpful because they're a lot cheaper. It's cheaper to buy silver rounds than it is dirty silver. The premium on them uh, is higher. Silver as of today was at 20, almost $24 an ounce. It's been as high as $49 an ounce historically uh, years ago, about 10 years ago. And of course, it's been as low as three or four dollars an ounce. Uh, right now, it's at 23. That's down from what it was just a few months ago. It got up to almost 30, 29 dollars an ounce just within the last few months. Um, but uh, so you buy silver, you you pay a premium for it. There's all different kinds of silver. You can get silver bars. You can get, you know, actual silver dollars and things like that. Uh, but uh, 
in terms of a means of exchange, I, I recommend dirty silver. Also think through other valuable items that are usable for bartering. Um, you know, maybe even items you, not, you don't usually have, but they could come in handy for bartering. Things like cigarettes or toilet paper or soap or, you know, those types of things. Um, also need to think about your jewelry and keepsakes. Again, you need to be of the mindset that if you have to implement a, you know, holding up scenario that you may not get back. So whatever you leave behind, you have to assume it may not be there if and when you ever get back. Chances are if you do get back, it's probably going to be looted. So think about those types of valuables. I didn't list them all. You probably think of some that I haven't. Uh, you also need to think about communication. So I, in your survival supply list uh, stock, I recommend uh, some type of AM FM radio. You can also get CB or ham radio. Uh, again, you, you don't have to be... Uh, you, you have to be licensed to use a ham radio, but in an end-of-the-world as we know it scenario, it's not going to matter. They're not going to be running around handing out citations for people who use the, the radio. But that's a great way to communicate. Walkie-talkies, a weather radio could be very helpful. Uh, they make a hand crank emergency radio, so you don't even need batteries or power. You need to have a an old-school compass, you know, the old-fashioned kind. A whistle can be a great way. Uh, to communicate, even a mirror. Uh, again, I mentioned physical paper maps. Flares can be helpful. It's not a bad idea to have a police scanner, depending on the nature of the scenario. Um, these are all kind of focused on the, the broad scenarios that I talked about in part one tonight. You need to make sure you grab your laptop and other digital data drives and your mobile devices, whether that's a phone or uh, iPad or tablet or whatever. Um, because, now obviously, if an EMP is the scenario and those are already fried, don't waste your time bringing them. But if you still can use them, you want to have them because you've got a lot of important data on your, uh, on your laptop. Uh, power, obviously, batteries. No, you cannot have too many batteries, okay? Um, and you can't have too many flashlights or lanterns or any type of battery-powered light. Those are critical things in a crisis. Um, you can do rechargeable batteries, and if you have like a solar generator or some means of recharging them or plugging the charger in, those can be helpful. Uh, but uh, at the very least, get some good uh, batteries, a good supply. I'm talking like 100 or 200 A's and, or double A's and triple A's and C's and D's and 9 volts and you name it. Uh, uh, you need to, generally speaking, have six 5-gallon cans of gasoline. That's 30 gallons. Depends on how many cars you have. But if you're planning to bug out in two vehicles, uh, so you've got a big enough family you can't all fit in one, then you, all, you should never let your car be below half, half tank in times like these. Okay. So if it's getting close to half tank, fill it up. But if a crisis happens to happen when your car is at the lowest level, which is half, remember, don't ever go below half, then generally speaking, if you have 30 gallons of gas, you ought to be able to fill up both your cars before you head out. Now, obviously, gasoline has a shelf life, so, you know, what you want to do is uh, use that gasoline after six months and then refill your six, five-gallon containers. Uh, diesel does not have a shelf life, so you can, if you have a diesel vehicle, uh, you can keep that indefinitely. You want lots of extension cords and power strips. I mentioned solar generators. These can be real handy uh, because, at least so far, the government doesn't own the sun. 
Uh, you can get, uh, I recommend electrical plug adapters because you might find yourself in a situation where you're in a old cabin or old place somewhere that doesn't have the three-pronged outlets. Rare these days, but I've been there. <laughs> and so I've been in churches, for example, speaking, where you know the church sanctuary is so old that they just have the old two-prong outlets. And that's why I carry a little plug adapter in my backpack so that I can plug my laptop in if I'm speaking there. Uh, oh, don't forget all your charging cables for your electronics and power inverters for your car. Those can be a lifesaver because if you're running low on your computer or your phone or something and you're still on the road for an extended period of time trying to get out of harm's way, you can plug those things in and they will charge up. Uh, all kinds of tools that you need to think about. Uh, so, you know, axes, hatchets, tree saws, machetes, hammers, sledgehammer, box cutters, and all kinds of knives. They're like flashlights and batteries. You can't have too many. A sharpening stone, uh, all kinds of rope and twine, tons of this. Uh, a spool of wire, tarps, nails, screws, and tacks. Um, if you're, you know, staying away for a while in some remote location, those can come in handy. Plastic sheeting, you can get a nine by 400 foot roll it's about that big and you know about that big of a box uh, you need a car preparedness kit we talked about that earlier that you might be on the road for a while flashlights shovels hose scissors buckets pliers and wire cutters and extra duffel bags those can be really handy uh, you might if you're out for a long time need to go pick up supplies well you're gonna how are you gonna carry it if you're walking three miles to the next cabin and you're gonna barter with them how are you gonna get that stuff back uh, a universal tool is really handy because you can carry that in your pocket and it's got all the basic tools that you might find yourself in need of. Screwdrivers, duct tape, packing tape, masking tape, work gloves, zip ties, the rain catchment containers, toe straps and tie downs, old blankets and sheets. Household and cooking, a lot of people don't think about this, but how are you going to cook? You need pots and pans and you need you know, some types of rudimentary camping gear. The best thing to do there is get you a good camping set. Uh, and you can get all kinds of propane-based uh, stoves and lanterns and even lights. And uh, use, uh, you, you can buy a bunch of those small propane canisters. Uh, obviously, that's not going to last you forever, but it, it, it could get you started on the new life wherever you're headed. Uh, paper goods, disc detergent, all the manual can opener, don't forget that. <laughs> You'd be ashamed to have all this great canned food to keep you alive, but you can't can't get into the can, right? That's kind of something I would make a mistake about. Um, if you're going to rely on fishing for food, you need to remember fishing poles and a fishing net. Um, utility uh, supplies. Um, you know, think about uh, light bulbs, uh, kerosene, if you have any kind of kerosene heaters or things like that. Uh, latex disposable gloves. Um, you know, that's important and I, because I'm an old hunter, grew up hunting and uh, you know, even though the old school way of gutting a deer is you just get in there and gut it, but it's certainly a lot cleaner if you wear those disposable latex gloves. And if you're having to kill animals, even if it's, you know, rabbits or turkeys or whatever out in the wild, it's nice to have gloves for a variety of reasons, not just uh, skinning and gutting a buck. Sewing kit, lots and lots of garbage bags, storage tubs and containers. Most of those will be what you store the stuff in to bug out with, but you might consider extra empty ones. Candles and matches, again, you can't have too many of those. And antibacterial wipes and gel. Aluminum foil has a variety of usages. Plastic wrap. Think about this. Pens, pencils, Sharpies, notebooks, something to write on. You know, I'm not a paper guy at all. I just don't do paper. 
but I use you know Evernote and other types of digital systems live and die by it but if you don't have access to power or digital technology or an EMP happens you're going to need some way to write stuff down Ziploc bags safety pins rubber bands obviously you need to think through clothing and bedding uh, you need to make sure you have uh, clothes appropriate for all different types of weather rain gear um, I put games and playing cards in there because I couldn't find any other place to put it but it's kind of good to have some stuff uh, to use if you're just you know kind of immediately out of harm's way you've settled in and you're waiting for the all clear it's you kind of pass the time um, medical obviously you know you need a really good uh, first aid kit I mean an extensive heavy-duty one that's got all kinds of stuff KI tablets potassium iodide Tablets will be valuable if you find yourself downwind of some type of nuclear event. You take those within 30 minutes of uh, the event, and they will help minimize your exposure to radiation. Uh, lots of Band-Aids. Uh, think about extra eyeglasses, right? I always carry an extra set of eyeglasses in my backpack because I really can't see at all. I'm basically blind, and if I'm on the road at a speaking engagement and my glasses break, I'm sunk. So. Well, what if you're bugging out? You need, you need to think about those types of, of things. Um, so let's uh, move on to number four now, bug out bags. Just a couple of comments there. The ultimate goal of bugging out is to leave a, a dangerous area as fast and stealthily as possible. Um, and then uh, you want to be packed and ready to go. You want to have anything that you don't need in your normal day-to-day -day life already packed and ready to go. But then you also, if possible, and not cost prohibitive, want to use duplicates. So there might be something that you use every day, like flashlights, or you have them positioned around the house, right, in case the power goes out. Well, don't you don't want to be scrambling to collect all that stuff if you have to bug out. So flashlights are pretty inexpensive. Buy a bunch of them and leave them in the package and just throw them in your bug out bags. And that, that applies to many other things. Little knives, you know, you can have multiple sets of just about everything so that in a crisis, the only thing you're grabbing are, are things that, you know, like on our list about important documents, you know, things that you're using every day. Uh, so bug out bags are vital for a variety of reasons. Remember, there were two uh, responses, plan B and plan C, that both involved leaving or moving somewhere. One of them is more serious than the other. One of them you're holding up and you're out in the woods in a tent hoping to just lay low. Uh, other one, you're just maybe at a friend's house or a hotel or whatever because there was a hurricane or a, a, a forest fire and they has a mandatory evacuation. But in either case, you're going to need bags. So two of the three responses require you to think ahead about what you're going to need and uh, pack those up. Um, you also, uh, again, each one of these is going to be personal for each situation and each family, but you need to think about um, space uh, in all likelihood uh, even if you're very judicious in what you pack and just stick with the main things on these lists I just gave you, it's going to take up a lot of room. So depending on the vehicle you have and how many people you have, you may need to think about a, a, a trailer or some type of rooftop carrier or a hitch basket or something to, to fit it all in. Um, these are the kinds of things to think about now. I mean, you can't you know, suppose you've got all your stuff ready and you're within 20 minutes, you're out the door, you get to the car and you got to choose between two of your bug out bags or one of your children because they won't fit, right? Um, now, if it was two bug out bags or one of your cats, that's an easy choice. 
but uh, it might be a little harder if it's kids. Number five, think about family meetings, okay? This is important for preparedness. Um, you know, uh, go over your contingency plans. Discuss rendezvous places and routes and, and scenarios. Um, even for young children, even for young children, they're not too young to hear this stuff. And, and you can do it with an air of trusting God and, and making sure they understand we're just doing the biblical thing to think ahead. Uh, have a plan if there's no way to communicate. Brainstorm ideas. Discuss concerns and fears. Be open and honest. And ultimately pray together. And just make sure that everyone's on the same page. Now, in an ideal world, you'd do this quarterly. Um, you know, in, in reality, you probably just do it as needed. If you, if you kind of sense that things are getting out of hand, you might call a family meeting and let's talk about uh, some of these things and think through them. And, and, and you know, you'd be surprised uh, how valuable input, especially from older kids. And if you have an extended family, you might even, if they're involved in your plan, which, by the way, you need to think about that. Um, in preparedness, you know, are there extended family members who may or may not live with you but need to be included in the plan? And if so, how? And that creates a, a, another part of the plan that you need to uh, consider. But if that's the case, then you might want to include them in these meetings. Uh, even if they don't live convenient enough to come over, you could, you know, loop them in by Zoom or some type of uh, uh, video conferencing. Also think about your kids that are off at college or older kids that are part of your immediate family, but they're not living at home. Uh, how are they uh, prepared for? So think through family meetings. Number six, you need to stay informed. You don't want to be blindsided, so you need to stay abreast of current events, and you need to learn to interpret the mainstream media propaganda. So I'm going to suggest just a, a few resources. Uh, these are not things that will necessarily tell you what to do, but they're resources that will tell you at least what's happening. And maybe interpret it. Uh, Joel Skousen with World Affairs Brief, we talked about his book, Strategic Relocation, which is a must-have. If you buy one book on preparedness, buy that one. It's so valuable, the information's in there. But he's got a great article on that, his website. Uh, I haven't read it for a long time. I'm assuming it's still there. I don't know why it wouldn't be, but I'm sure you can find it, on how to interpret the mainstream media. Because uh, hopefully by now you understand that uh, the mainstream media is controlled. It is uh, not, uh, there's no fault, there's no left-right paradigm. It's not like Fox News is good and CNN is bad. They're both bad. They're just coming at it from a different angle. It's controlled opposition. And so you need to be able to see beyond the propaganda to what's really going on. And he has a good article on that. Uh, but there's a lot of other good sources of news. You probably have some of your own. This is by no means exhaustive. I'm also not endorsing everything any of these people say. Uh, they, I may disagree with them on some things, um, may disagree with them theologically in some cases, but these are sites that I've gone to that I find helpful for just informational uh, purposes. And then finally, building community. And uh, this is something to think through as well in terms of preparedness. Uh, what skills do you have to offer? What skills are you deficient in? Uh, who do you know that can offset your weaknesses? You need to make a list of people that you can call on in a crisis. These might be doctors, farmers, plumbers, electricians, gunsmiths, people that have specific skill sets that you don't uh, have and that you might find yourself needing. Now, obviously, there are some scenarios uh, under which you're going to just be on your own and you're going to have to just intuit your way through and be like the old pioneer days where you just make it happen. You figure it out. But there might be some scenarios where our lives are disrupted 
maybe we're having to not be at home, but it's not like the end of the world as we know it, but we might need to do some things at our mountain cabin that we don't know how to do. So you can go find a neighbor and you need to be aware of who you can call on. Uh, you can also, you know, anticipate some of these needs and print a lot of stuff out. Remember, you're not going to be able to go to YouTube. So think through, you know, what if I you know, have a plumbing leak or what if I have an electrical problem? What if my car won't start? Those types of things. And you can print out some things to help with if, if you need them. So be prepared. Uh, you know, that's what we're talking about. Remember, a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. That's a biblical principle. And ask yourself, are you prepared? Um, you know, it, it's, if you've not thought through some of this stuff, don't panic. You know, you start tomorrow. Just start making lists. Work through this video and some of the different scenarios and, and how you might have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C for those uh, scenarios. And what are, uh, you know, we've posed a lot of questions for you to think through. And uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of what I wanted to do, macro level, get your wheels turning, get you thinking. So we've got a few minutes left for some questions, and we want to do that a little differently tonight. I'm going to ask Kelly to uh, use the microphone and just so that uh, those that are watching by live stream or later on watching the movie, uh, I mean the video, can hear what's being said because I inevitably I forget uh, to repeat the question, and I've had some people... Uh, graciously email me from who knows where saying hey we love your stuff but at the end we really want to hear those questions and you don't always repeat them so this will solve that problem so anybody with a question tonight no questions well we got two let's start with Gary then we'll go back there I don't know the answer but are generators gas generators EMP proof yes I'm told by a reliable source that they are. Yeah. Oh, any old school four, you know, four cycle engines I would think would be, right? Because they don't have chips in them. Yeah. So, good question. Somebody else. Yeah. Let's say you want to buy a, a property, a house, or something like that. You have your immediate family, you also have maybe some friends that uh, you want to consider. You know, how do you uh, go about finding a, a house that's big enough to house your family and your community that you're going to be a part of. So that's a great, what's the last thing you said? And the Gilberts. And the Gilberts, yes, amen, yeah. So, all right, so step number one, don't look in Colorado. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you, I mean, it's just stuff is so expensive here, it's unbelievable. But I would think, I would go back to those first four basic things. So you want to find a property that has access to water. So that means it could be a spring. That's beautiful if you find a place with a natural spring or a year-round creek or a, a pond or a lake. Uh, and it also might not even be on your property, but if you're buying 40 acres out in the mountains surrounded by either government land or other 40 to 100-acre tracks and, you know, there's a pond across your property line because you know how it is out there. there I mean, it's not like a HOA or something. So if you can get to it, you can go steal water from that pond and, and filter it with your Berkey filter. So water is number one, access to uh, heat if you're in Colorado. So uh, if you're in the woods, that's fine because you've, in theory, got unlimited timber, a lot of fallen wood that you can go get with a chainsaw and, 
and cut it up and burn it for heat. Um, if you're, you know, out in the middle of the plains where there's no trees, how are you going to heat yourself when it gets cold? You have to think about that. You have to assume that what you've got on your property is all you've got, that there's no supply chain, no logistics. You're not going to have deliveries. You're not going to be able to get propane. They're going to turn off the gas. They're going to turn off the electricity. So food, which food generally if you're out in, in a secluded place or the woods or country or mountains, you're going to have deer and other animals. Um, so food is, you know, that is important. Water is important. Shelter and heating and stuff is important. Um, the other things that I would think about are, um, you know, is it year-round accessible? Because if there's something crisis happens in the middle of the winter, you know, a lot of these bug-out properties are not accessible during the winter unless you have a snowmobile or something, right? So you need to think about that, make sure it's year-round accessible. Um, but as far as how you go about finding it, um, uh, you know, you just look on MLS and places like that. There's a great site called survivalrealty.com, survivalrealty.com that goes state by state, and people can list their stuff on there. That can be uh, pretty helpful because it's all like-minded people. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would just think through, does it check all the boxes? Uh, you know, you mentioned how big it is. Well, it depends on how many people you have, as you said. Uh, but in a crisis, you know, you could all live in a yurt, you know, if you had to, right? I mean, um, it doesn't have to be as comfortable as it would in a normal, normal life. So, any any follow-up question or comment on that at all? Uh, I would just say that one follow-up comment on that is you have to go look at the property. I mean, we have already been looking in Colorado, and we've seen acreage you know, 35 acres with a, a well and a building site and everything. Then we go look at it and it's all, it's 35 acres all on a slope and the, you know, it's, it's pretty unusable. So, so you have to do the legwork as well as looking on the, on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes just driving around looking can spawn other ideas or sometimes you might see some neighbor the guy has 150 acres he's wanting to sell 50 and he just tacked a little sign on a tree by the road and he didn't put it on any listing so there's very great value in, in you know you can do a lot of research on the internet but go look at it and um, and as far as the sloping um, it kind of depends what you're going to use the property for uh, at the end of the day if you can get a good price and it's got a good uh, uh, improvement on it uh, with the water access and things like that it's not the end of the world if it's slanted it's not like you're going to put a softball field on it you just want to live and survive but yeah but that's the point is well taken that there could be other things like sometimes you'll you'll find uh, you know a 10 acre plot and all the images look great and you get there and you find out just you know your southern neighbor is a massive chemical plant and you're you know you know, northern neighbor is something else. So, you know, you want to, you definitely want to look at it. Good point. Yeah. I'm not sure how to formulate this, but I'll do it with stream of consciousness. I know that Christians, since the formation of the church, have been persecuted for their faith. And they have survived. Um, I'm trying to reconcile that with this type of a survival. Um, because it doesn't seem like it's only because of your faith, it just seems because of the Luciferian agenda that 
talked about, and also the timing of the rapture. Um, so this can sound almost intimidating or daunting to prepare in this way, even though I think many of us have taken those steps. So what is my question? My question is persecution for faith versus survival for life. I can't quite reconcile those two. Okay, so I, I think I kind of know what your what where the tension is. So if you go back to the to the plans that you know I talked about, I had a and these are big picture. You hunker down, head out, hole up. What might cause you to do one of these things could be religious persecution. So in other words, if they're literally under Plan C here, if they're literally rounding people up. Now, that could be Christians. There's a scenario under which that could happen. It happens all over the world. No reason we, not to think it might not happen here if the Lord tarries is coming. But it could also be, you know, they're rounding up the unvaxxed, right? So regardless of, of what leads to the scenario, what I'm trying to get people to do is think through how to respond. And in my mind, there's really only three, broadly speaking, scenarios. Scenario one, you just kind of hang out at your house. You may not be able to leave. You may be under a quarantine like they were in Australia and France and other places and New Zealand. Uh, but if you're there, you've got your stuff and you're there and you need to think through all those things. Even if you don't have power, even if you don't have water, can you hunker down for a while? What if it's not safe right there? Maybe it's not that you're being pursued, so you're not having to hide out or hole up, but you just it's not safe there. There's a fire, there's an explosion, there's whatever, unrest. Then, then you plan that scenario. And then, of course, the third one, which is more in line with kind of what you're processing in your mind, which is what if it gets to the point where we, like so many Christians over the last 2,000 years, find ourselves being persecuted? Well, to me, that's when you move to plan C, and you're going to have to hide out and hole up. And depending on the level of danger might depend on how severe that looks like. Like we've talked in theory about you know, holding up in a cabin in the woods and just kind of laying low, and they're not probably not going to hunt you down. But if it's really severe, you might have to be mobile. You don't have to move. You might have to go underground. You might, I mean, the Bible talks about during the tribulation, hiding out in caves and so forth. So, so I think it's just, it's a hard question to answer because it's hard to imagine every scenario. But I think you're smart to at least contemplate in an extreme case, the reality that you may be like the Jews and others in World War II and like people before us under tyrants fleeing and and what does that look like how could I do it um, uh, I mean we've thought about you know do you need a horse or something like that what if you can't use your car you know but there's there you can really get into def different levels but um, so were you also asking kind of just <laughs> Is that your alien implant interacting with the microphone or what? That's a good way to get shot. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, were you also sort of asking about just more of a spiritual philosophical question of how do I how do I steel myself to do these things? No, it was more um, it was more around I'm willing to die for my faith. Amen. Yeah. I am willing to die for my faith, and we have an uncomplicated life because we don't have any children or any relatives, okay? So how far do I want to go to save my life when I don't want to be in this world? 
Okay, so that's a great question, and I'm glad I got you to kind of add, a, add the clarification and the follow-up there. So uh, my response to that, you may not like it and you may not agree with it, but I believe in the sanctity of life, and I think that uh, God's Word teaches us that we should all seek to stay alive as long as we can, that we don't have the right as human beings to, uh, you know, give up early just because life gets tough. All life is valuable, not just, I mean, whether you're disabled or whether your life is valuable. And God can use us to minister to others, to spread the gospel, first and foremost, that's why we're here, and, and other things. So I get that, you know, at some point you're thinking, man, this life stinks, I'd just rather go home and see the Lord. But uh, I think we ought to do everything we can to not make it easy for the enemy to put us on the trains, so to speak. Now, that said, obviously everyone's situation is different. Because your life is more simple, you could probably handle more at home maybe than a bigger family because you can sort of be, you know, I, I know people that part of their plan is, is, a, is a secret place on their property that nobody knows about and that is underground that they can get to from their house. So they don't have to bug out. They can just kind of lay low until, you know, they may never have to bug out. So I think each situation is going to be a little bit different. And I hear what you're saying that um, we say, come Lord Jesus, we want him to come, but we need to fight tooth and nail to live and have that survival instinct as long as the Lord has us here because there may be someone you meet along the way that you can share the gospel with. So. Somebody else. Randy. Okay, we've got a lot of scenarios. We have different plans. If we have a scenario where life is not ending, what about coming here as a group? Yeah, so for the local Plum Creek uh, Chapel group in the Denver suburb of Sedalia, uh, yeah, I think uh, this would be a good rendezvous point at the very least. And as we, if we spend more time planning and thinking through it, it could also be a shelter place for sure uh, and we've, t we've talked about this with our preparedness planning group uh, even today we, we kind of talked about that so uh, yeah definitely on our radar something to, to further discuss but we could we could put food and supplies and med medical supplies and things we need here and if it was a tough situation people uh, people could come here you know anybody else yes Hang on, wait for the mic just so we can. Do you think we could just have a prayer about wisdom and discernment and planning and cohesiveness with family members? And I just feel like that would be really encouraging. Amen. Yeah, we will. Before we leave, we'll close out with just a dedicated moment of prayer, seeking the Lord's wisdom, because this is a lot to think about. And I hope it's not upsetting. I hope it gives you a framework. That's all I was trying to do is give you a framework. I mean, you can. there are books that thick on preparedness. There are video series that you can buy, pay hundreds of dollars. So there's no shortage of resources out there. But most people have not really even thought and don't know where to begin thinking. So by breaking it down into a few scenarios and how, how you might respond to those, either by staying put, heading out, or if you're really in danger, hiding out, um, I think that hopefully that will help. But any more questions or comments before we go to the Lord in prayer?
Okay, well, I'll pray, and then I'm happy to stick around afterwards if you guys want to commiserate and brainstorm and talk, and maybe there's some things that, you know, we should add to the list, and we can put it in the document uh, uh, after we produce that. Well, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much just for the, the resource of your word. We thank you that uh, in your word we find everything we need for life and godliness. And, Lord, right now we need wisdom. We need uh, clarity of thought and clearness of mind. We need discernment to just know what to prioritize, what might happen, what might not happen. Lord, we trust in you, as your word tells us to do. But we also know, Lord, that you've given us uh, a brain and you've given us uh, warning signs and signals. You've given us resources. And we don't want to fall into the trap of going to the extreme of uh, just presumption, uh, but yet at the same time we do want to, to testify that our faith is in you, that we need you, we're trusting you to show us the way and to give us the wisdom to be able to put together uh, just the right uh, plan for our unique situation. And Lord, if you do call upon believers in our own country to make the ultimate sacrifice, uh, if you do tarry your coming so that we have to face the types of persecution that believers in other parts of the world have faced for some time. We pray that you give us the strength uh, to stand firm, to abide in you, so that uh, we will be confident and not ashamed in such a moment. And so, Lord, we uh, just pray that you would calm uh, our hearts and, again, turn our hearts toward you. Help us not to uh, simply place our faith in, in horses and chariots, but to ultimately remember who's in charge and to place our faith in you. And we pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.